Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, again, good morning, church. Hey, if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab those and join me in the New Testament letter of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to be in chapter 3 to start this morning as we jump back into our summer series called God's Heart, Our City. And if you're a first-time guest, uh, we've been in the middle of this series where we've had some special guest speakers come, and and we're going to continue to have guests. We've got to hear from Jimmy Dodd, who will be here next week. Uh, But a few months ago, we shared a vision for our church as we approached our 75th anniversary here in in, in the upcoming years. And here was the vision that over the next five years, we would come together as a church family to plan and prepare together to offer three gifts, not to ourselves in celebration of ourselves, but three gifts to our city as a sacrifice to God. Each of these gifts would be an expansion of areas of ministry that we already feel God has called Salem Heights Church to be involved in. We want to be able to provide greater access to biblical counseling. We want to provide greater support and answers to the the homelessness and the drug addiction that we see in our city. And we want to offer more support and care for other pastors and other ministries because we collectively want to see all the churches be healthy and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in our area. And so this summer series is really focused on uh, us as a church starting to unpack this vision and trying to, to answer some of the questions. Why would we have this vision? How would we accomplish this vision? What is this vision looking like? What would it look like actually lived out? And the letter of 1 Thessalonians is where we have found great insights for how to engage an outrageous culture. In week one, we kicked off our series by trying to answer the question of why. Why would we be concerned for our city? And we were reminded that God's heart for all people is that they would find their meaning in him and that they would be deeply impacted by what satisfied Christians do and say. And so God desires that every person in Salem would would come to saving faith in Christ and that they would find their meaning in him. And that his church would then be a beacon of hope, a beacon of light. And the things that we do and say as a church would would impact the community around us. In week two, we looked at how. How then, if, if this is what God is calling us to be about, to impact our city, how do we do that? How do we engage a culture that seems outraged against Christianity, our beliefs, our values, the things that we say are non-negotiable truths? And we learn from Paul's example in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that we must engage our culture gently. That we should share not only the gospel but our lives with them and that we need to offer guidance that is focused on Christ and his glory and his ways rather than guidance that comes out of our own agendas and our own desires. When we do this well, when we engage our city and we share Christ and we live lives with them that show the love of Christ and when we offer guidance that points them back to Christ, what will happen when we do that well is that people will recognize that our message is not from ourselves, but it's the Lord's. And they will recognize it being from the Lord and they will believe in the Lord. They will trust in the Lord. They will cling on to him and not on us or the church. And so the last couple of weeks, we invited some guest speakers to come in and try to answer some of the questions that we're seeing in culture. 
the, the questions that our culture is asking that they're looking to the church to have answers for. But this morning, what we're going to try to do is we're going to seek to answer the question of what. More specifically, what is the greatest gift the church can give our city? And to answer this, I want to look at two statements that are made by the Apostle Paul in the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And I believe they're going to help us answer this question of what is the greatest gift the church can offer our city? And so, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, would you stand with me as we read our text this morning? We're going to start in verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you're ready to hear from the Lord this morning, say ready. This is the word of the Lord. It says in verse 11, Now may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Now flip forward to chapter 5, verse 14. Paul goes on to write, And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Father God, we just ask right now that you would give us understanding of what we've just read. This is your word. It has life and truth and it has a message for us today for how we can reach our city and what we can give it on your behalf, Lord. Speak to us through your word. Stir our hearts, stir our convictions, stir our affections for you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You can be seated. So what is the greatest gift that we can offer the city of Salem? We've kind of identified three gifts that we want to give. We want to give an expanded uh, biblical counseling ministry where we can offer them biblical counseling for free to anybody who wants it. And they can come receive help. We want to expand the the, the answers and and the people to serve those who are on the streets and who are trapped in addiction. We want to reach out to those other pastors and churches and ministry who are overwhelmed and struggling and discouraged and come alongside them, not as experts, but as ones who are are co-laborers in the ministry and say, how can we help you? How can we support you? How can we pray for you? Those are all great gifts, but they're not the greatest gift. Paul here is writing to a people who he had come to and and in a very short time he had shared the gospel, people had come to faith and then he was run out of town and he sent some people back to make sure that those people who had professed faith in Christ stayed true to the Lord and they came back and reported to Paul, they are remaining faithful in Thessalonica. And so Paul here then as he hears that word, he prays a prayer for those believers that we read here in chapter 3 verses 11 through 13. And in this prayer, I think he identifies the greatest gift the church can give the city that it's planted in. And so here's the simple truth for you to cling on to this morning. The greatest gift the church can give an outrageous culture is an outrageous love. The greatest gift that we can give an outrageous culture, a culture that is absolutely uh, irate 
at the things that we believe and say are true and are good and from the Lord, his best is an outrageous love. Outrageous, outrageous can have a couple of different meanings. Outrageous, one is anger and enmity and this, 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 this angst against something. And it can be outrageous, it's like uh, beyond description, kind of just out of the norm, unusual. See, in chapter two, Paul had described that he had been treated outrageously by the culture that he had been going to, the Philippi, now Thessalonica. This word outrageously here in the Greek means that he had been treated shamefully, that he had been mistreated and insulted because of the proclamation of the gospel. But how did he respond to that? Well, in chapter two, it says that they stayed faithful to their calling, that even though they were, being, they were receiving all this persecution for telling people about the good news and inviting them to believe for themselves and experience a relationship with Christ, they were being afflicted and persecuted and run out of town by angry mobs. But it said that they stayed faithful to their calling in response to an outrageous culture. They continued to share the gospel. It says that they stayed committed to seeking the approval of God, not man. They were more concerned about being approved by God, not by their neighbors. And they continued to live a devout, blameless, righteous life. Even though it'd be easier to compromise and try to blend in with society and to go with the flow, no, we're gonna continue to live for Christ and that's gonna make us stand out because we're not gonna go along with what the world says is good and right and true. And what was the result of their steadfastness in the face of persecution for their faith? Tells us in chapter two that many received the message, not merely as a human message, but as God's word. They believed in it. They placed their faith in Christ. And then Paul prays this prayer for them. He says, may the Lord cause you, verse 11 of chapter three, verse 12, excuse me. He says, may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. The word here for, for love in verse 12 is a Greek word, agape. And we've talked many times before in many sermons about the different Greek words there are that are all translated as love in the English language. And so when we read love in the Bible, it's important for us to know what type of love is being referred to here because they're all different types of love. And the word for love here is that word agape. And there's many definitions and ways people try to describe it, but I love this simple definition. Agape love as modeled by Christ is not based on a feeling. Rather, it is a determined act of the will, a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above our own. This is the type of love that Paul is praying for, for these believers in Thessalonica who are facing persecution because they're standing with Christ. He's praying that, that the Lord would produce more and more of his love in their lives, that they would experience the love of God in a more deeper, genuine, personal way. And then it says here that it would overflow to everyone else through them and to those around them. But this is not a love that they were being called to produce themselves. He's not saying people in Thessalonica become more loving, be more loving. He said, I'm praying that God will stir this up, that God will cause this, that this type of love, agape love, is a love that only the Spirit of God can produce in a person's life. It is not natural. It's not found in ourselves. 
And it would be this type of love that would be the driving force behind their words and actions in an outrageous culture. And so as we, as Salem Heights, as we desire this summer to talk about these gifts and to, to understand God's heart in our city and what role that he wants Salem Heights to play, we need to remember that the type of love that we're gonna need to carry out this vision is not gonna be produced in ourselves. It's like we, we were talking about this vision that the leadership team has and that we're wanting our church to buy on so that it's our collective vision, but it's our vision from the Lord, by the Lord, to the Lord's glory and through his power. If it's not all those things, it will fail. It will actually harm our city. It will harm you. But we don't believe it's of us. And since it's not of us, we need to continue to seek the Lord to, to do what he needs to do in us so that we can actually be used by him to carry out the vision. And so as we seek to give three gifts to our city, it's this type of love that must be produced in us and working through us so that these three gifts are not seen as being of us or for us. I wanna say that again. As we seek to give three gifts to our city, it's this type of love that must be produced in us individually and working through us as a church so that these three gifts are not seen by anybody that impacts them, gets impacted by them as being from us, this is Salem Heights work, or for us, this is all about making Salem Heights name great. In fact, if we could do all of this without telling them where it came from, that would be our preference. Our vision is not for our name to be great in Salem, it's for Christ's name to be great in Salem. So what does this mean? How, how is this the greatest gift? What makes agape the greatest thing that we could give the, to our city? Well, there are three things I wanna highlight from the two texts we read this morning. And the first is this. What makes agape great is that it is inexhaustibly sourced in God. He says here in verse 12 of chapter three, and may the Lord cause you to overflow and to, to increase and overflow with love. You see, the gifts that we give, the things that we could produce in our own intellect, in our own strength, in our own resources are limited. They're exhaustible. Oftentimes they're inadequate and they can be fickle. I kind of was thinking about like, what, what do we have to offer in ourselves? And I kind of viewed it as like a gift card. Gift cards are pretty popular gifts to give nowadays when you don't know what to give a person who has everything they want already. And there's value to a gift card. We can give, and it's gonna have a monetary value. I took some of my resources and I'm giving them to you, but here's the, here's the reality about a gift card is that while it can do some good and while it can be helpful and appreciated, it has a limit. And once it is used up, it is gone. But that's not what God's love is. We should not be looking to give our city a gift that is sourced in us because even with our best efforts and our most dedicated, committed followers, what we could offer them would at some point come to an end. It would run out, it would lose steam, it would lose momentum. Why? Because it's sourced in something that's not gonna last forever. But the love of God is connected to the nature of God and therefore it is unlimited. It's inexhaustible. It can continue to go back to it and find it full. And God gives it out generously to the world. The love of God is unlimited. It's adequate. It's what we need. 
and it's rooted in Christ's very nature. You see, throughout Paul's letters, there's many places where you will find, as he's writing to different groups of believers in different parts of the world that he had traveled to to proclaim the gospel and to build churches, you will see him praying that the believers in these areas would grow personally in their knowledge of God's love for them. That through that knowledge of God's surpassing love, they would become rooted and firmly established to be able to stand up to the opposition they would face, but also that they would be empowered to fulfill their calling. It is the love of God that empowers and equips believers to remain faithful to God and make a difference in their community. The reason we want to give Agape love, we want to find a way to show this love and to pass this love through us to our city is because it's inexhaustible. It'll continue to meet the needs of our church and our city. And God says, here it is, it's never ending, it's, it's overflowing. I want to have it come through you and to those that I placed you near. That's the best kind of gift we can give them. Not something that's going to be short term, something that's going to have a big pop at the beginning and then kind of fizzle out. No, it's going to be something that is steady. And as they get to experience it more and they trust in themselves, it's actually going to get deeper and fuller and wider and higher because it's inexhaustible. But there's a second reason why agape is the, is the greatest gift we can give the city. And that is because it's dynamic in its application. You understand dynamic versus static, right? Static is kind of just one sits there. Dynamics is moving. It adjusts. It adapts. The kind of love that Christ gives us that he wants us to show, he wants us to live out in the hand and pass through us to the city is a dynamic love, meaning it can meet people in all different areas of life and all different spiritual and social and personal and emotional conditions. I was thinking uh, back, there was a, during that season where we had to wear masks, I know I'm, I'm about to trigger a lot of people here. I'm sorry for bringing this up, but... Some, of, some people use the gator, you know, the, the neck tube. Those are actually pretty cool. I was looking online, like there's 16 different ways you can wear a gator. It can be a hood, it can be a scarf, it can be a bandana, it can be a headband, it can be a hair tie, it can be a, I mean, it could be a, probably a slingshot. I mean, there's all kinds of different area, things you can do, but it's one thing that you can use in a bunch of different applications and in a bunch of different conditions. People were using them before a pandemic. They're still useful. But here's the thing. When he talks about agape love, when we think about, we just need to give love to our city. I think sometimes as Christians are like, wait a second, we need to give them truth. Not this love stuff. Because why the world has taken love and has made it mean a lot of different things. What is love in the world? Love is getting to choose what that definition is. That if you truly love something, you accept it, you endorse it, you affirm it. But that's not the type of love that he's talking about. See, remember, as we talked about in our definition of love, love is a choice. It's, it's a determined act of the will. It's not merely a feeling. And sometimes love, what is loving, is actually not soft. Look at the ways that love is actually lived out in chapter 5, verse 14. This was the second passage we read this morning. It says, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters. So he's saying to the believers here in Thessalonica, we are charging you. We are calling. We are giving you a directive here. Warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. 
I believe these are, these are descriptions of how love would be carried out because again, he's called them to love, to place the best interest of those around them ahead of their own. And he's saying, love in this way, love like Christ. One of the ways that we can love is to warn. That word here, warn, in some of your Bibles might be translated as admonish. That's a strong word. It's a challenging word. That we are to warn those who are idle. This word for idle in the, in the Greek means people who have become uh, lazy or unmotivated, kind of stuck, kind of just focusing on themselves. It says warn those people. But I don't believe he's saying warn them in this way that is, that is aggressive or calling them to, to some sort of legalism. Like you should be doing this, 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 this. Because legalistic sets of rules give the wrong idea to people that says in order for God to love you and to accept you, you need to do all these things. No, no, what we need to do to, to receive the grace of God to, to experience the forgiveness of God, to live in relationship with God is to believe in the gospel and the gospel alone. And through that relationship, the spirit begins to produce in us new desires and empowers us through the power of the Holy Spirit to actually begin to live different lives that are the evidence of a genuine faith. And so what do we call, what does it mean to warn? It's to say what you're doing is not okay. What you're doing is not glorifying to God. What you're doing will harm you and others. What you're doing is offensive to a God who loves you so much. And we draw them not to works, but to worship. Would you consider the love of God? How much he loves you, what he's done for you? Would you just, would you ponder that? Would you, would you sit in that? Believing that that could inspire them to see that I, I shouldn't just be focused on myself and sitting back and, being idle, but I should actually be worshiping the Lord and serving him with my life and living for him because my days are not my days, they're his days. So love is not always soft, but there are some things here that can kind of come alongside that love is also tender. It says the comfort, the discouraged. I love this description of the word comfort here by John Henderson. He says this, comforting is not empty flattery or putting down someone's adversaries or positive thinking, or remembering past successes. Comforting is speaking, strengthening words from close beside. To come along and comfort someone who's discouraged isn't to come along and say, start giving them all this flattery to try to build up their self-esteem. That's not love. It's not putting down their adversaries and trying to trump them up to put at other people's expense. That's not love. It's not just thinking positively about yourself and living in a naive dreamland. That's not love. And it's not remembering past successes, living the glory days. No, it's coming alongside and speaking strengthening words from close beside. And what are those strengthening words? God loves you. God loved you so much that while you were dead in your sins and trespasses, he sent his son into the world to live a perfect life so he could die on the cross for your sins, be buried and rise again. And through faith in him, not only will your sins be forgiven, but he will give you a new heart, new desires, and he will begin to transform you into the image of his son. Comfort the discouraged. Why do we get discouraged? We get too focused on everything that's going on around us and we're reminded how frail we are and how little control we have over our circumstances. And the comforting doesn't say, well, no, you're stronger than that. Remember how good you were back then? No, comforting says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let me comfort you 
who are discouraged to get your eyes upon Jesus. But love is also seen in helping the weak. The word for weak here in the Greek is those who are trapped, literally stuck. They feel like there's nothing they can do to get out of the circumstances. They begin to believe the lie that there's no hope for them, that they are going to just be stuck in this sinful condition because of their own sinful choices. But we know that in Christ there is freedom. There is victory. There is newness of life. So how do we help those who are weak? Well, it's to offer them the love of Christ. You see, the power to help a person who is trapped in weakness isn't in ourselves. The power to help a person is only from God. We are powerless to transform a heart. We can try to give people a prescribed path to change their behavior, but only God can cause the heart to be changed, which is really the issue Behavior modification, it's just like lopping off a weed in your lawn, but not actually taking care of the root. And what happens? It just keeps growing bigger and stronger. We need to remember that we are weak and we need to minister to our city from this weakness. It says, it's not me who is strong, but in me is the one who is strong. And let me tell you about him because he is strong enough to help you where you're trapped. Love is the best thing we can give our city because it will meet everyone in our city no matter where they are at. But I love what it says here in verse 14. He's warning and he's exhorting the the Christians here to first start with each other. Do you believe that inside the church today, some of us could be idle? Sitting back, not serving, not living out as being part of this family, but just taking from the family. That there are some that are gonna be stuck in their discouragement. That even though we are saved and Christ has given us hope and a future, that, there's no, there's, that doesn't mean we can't get discouraged, that we can't get distracted, that spiritual warfare won't try to take our eyes off of Christ and put it on the things of this world. And that there are some of us who are weak and trapped, we've stumbled and we need help. He's saying, brothers and sisters, look out for each other. It's the greatest gift we can give because it's dynamic in its application. But there's one other reason why agape love is the greatest gift we can give our city. And that is that it is limitless in its reach. In two places in the passage we read this morning, in verse 12 of chapter three, in verse 15 of chapter five, we see believers called to consider and care for those outside of the fellowship. Let's look at these passages one more time. Chapter three, verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another. And in my Bible, I circled this. This is key for the church to hear. And for everyone, just as we do for you. Verse 15 of chapter five. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. There have been some of us who have struggled with us being missionally minded. There are some who struggle with the idea of us putting resources and time and giving of ourselves to meet the needs outside of our church because we're thinking about what about us? What about the church? What about discipleship? 
And what I want you to hear me say is we are just as committed to what's going on in here as we are about what's going on out there. But we can't be one or the other. We have to be both. That is biblical. You see, agape love, the love that God has for us, a love that was rooted in his nature, a love that said he was gonna come to earth to die for our sins, even though we were undeserving, we were rebellious, is a love that goes to those who are not qualified. This is an incredible truth. God's love isn't reserved for the faithful. There are no prerequisites. We are all saved by agape. Thank you, Lord. This type of love that that Paul is praying for the church to have developed in them and then to pour out into the people that they live around that are not saved is a love that is actually from God. It, It almost feels like it's designed for. This love is reserved for not those who are good, those who are like the best. This kind of amazing love, God's love, is created for the lost, the rebellious, the skeptic, and the hard to love. And this is why outrageous love is the greatest gift we can give. It's limitless in its reach. If we're gonna truly reach our city, we know there are places. We probably would all, if we, we would even say, there's probably places in town that we won't drive through at a certain part of the day. There's per, certain places in our town where we won't go into because we're just offended by their, their stances or their beliefs. There's, there's certain people that we won't have anything to do with. We are angry and outraged at them. But agape love is a love that is rooted in the highest standard of God's righteousness because Christ demonstrated agape love and yet he took that into the darkest parts of the world. He reached out to those who were the most unlovable, those who were most worthy of judgment and said, but I love you still. Will you accept this? That's the gift the city needs. Otherwise, we're gonna come up short. We'll cover 75% of Salem, but not that 25% because they're just too far gone. No, we need to give them agape rather than a program because our programs might have a reach, but they're gonna be limited. But agape will go into every home, every heart and can transform it. So here's the bottom line. The church has been called to pursue what is good, not only for one another, but for all. And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna have some guest speakers come in and talk to us about why should, why are they impressed and, and why are they affirmed in their own faith to hear about a church in Salem, Oregon, in the icy blue Northwest <laughs> that would actually care about the health of other pastors in their area, that would actually care about those who are trapped in addictions and living on the streets, who would actually care about trying to extend freely the gift of biblical counseling to those who are hurting They're gonna come in and they're gonna help us unpack why we should be about this. But we are called to first care for one another, but not just stop here at Salem Heights. We are called to have a heart for the city because that's God's heart. This is the kind of church we want to be. So how do we give away this kind of love? Well, we gotta be filled up We can't give something to others that we don't possess. If we wanna give agape love, if we wanna be the instruments through whom agape love flows through to our city, we have to first be filled up with God's love. It says, may the Lord cause in you and may overflow in you his love. 
We need to spend time in his word, spend time in relationship with him, considering his love for us. Let it transform the way we think. Let it motivate our desires. Let it give us meaning. So we have to be filled up with God's love. That means we need to be participating in times where we are around God's word with God's people, reflecting and thinking and growing and worshiping. But we also have to show up. We gotta be filled up if we're gonna show the city love, but we gotta show up. It says here, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. There's a place known as the Gap in Sydney, Australia. It's an ocean cliff near the entrance of Sydney Harbor. It's a beautiful place, visited by many when they're in Sydney. But it's also gained notoriety for something much more tragic It's estimated that about 50 people a year end their lives here at the gap by jumping off the cliff. And for nearly 50 years, a man named Don Ritchie, who lived across the street from Cliff's Edge, would engage those who contemplated suicide in an attempt to prevent them from jumping off the ledge. Don wasn't a counselor. He didn't have any professional training or formal education. He was just willing to help. In one article written about Don, it said this, as individuals walked up to the cliff, looking at the crashing waves below and wondering whether to jump, Don would approach them with a smile asking, why don't you come and have a cup of tea? Accepting his offer, these people would be invited into his home where they would have a chat over tea. No counseling, no advising, no prying, just one human being leaning and listening near to another. Some of these people had mental problems. Some have medical illnesses. Some are just people going through a rough patch in life. For many, a listening ear was apparently what they needed as they changed their minds about jumping off after the chat and they turned back home. Don was officially credited by the government there in Australia for saving over 160 lives during that. But his family believes it was actually closer to 400 to 500 lives. In the early days, Don would be known to actually walk across and sometimes even grab hold of people. As he got older, he had to change his tactics. (laughs) He was an ordinary guy. He was a salesman by profession. And he said, as I got older, I I had to convince them, I had to sell them life. This is what Don did for almost 50 years talking to the people who walked up to the cliff and were contemplating suicide and extending a helping hand, giving them a listening ear and saving countless from suicide in the process. May we, as one church, Salem Heights, view our city in the same way. People in need of help and be willing to help them at their greatest point of need. Not as experts, not as those formally trained, but as those saved by an amazing, incredible savior willing to help the hurting. I'm gonna end with a quote by a man named Preston Sprinkle on a topic different from ours this morning, but the point is well made about how do we address culture. He says this, 
there is plenty of fodder for outrage. But outrage doesn't change the world. Love changes the world. Getting furious at our cultural moment doesn't convince people of the truth. Our truth will not be heard until our grace is felt because the greatest apologetic for truth is love. One of the clearest demonstrations of agape love was seen on a Roman cross outside the city of Jerusalem a couple thousand years ago. Jesus Christ came into the world to offer himself as our substitution, a sacrifice for the sins of all men. In Romans chapter five, it tells us that Jesus' death and resurrection was the proof of the great love of God. Because while we were still sinful, he came and offered his body and he shed his blood for us. One of the themes in this letter of 1 Thessalonians is the return of Christ. Paul carefully reminds his audience that the reality of Christ's death and resurrection should give us confidence that we can trust the promises of God that one day Christ will return to gather his children together to live with him forever. And it's this love that Paul calls us to encourage each other with daily. So this morning we're gonna be taking the Lord's Supper as you came in this morning, uh, you probably grabbed one of these. If you didn't grab one of these, you can raise your hand and our ushers will come by and give you one. But as we take Lord's Supper, this is a time where we as the church remember and reflect on Christ's sacrifice for us. And so I'm gonna invite the worship team back up here who are gonna lead us in a song to prepare our hearts for what we're going to do as we reflect and remember on what Christ did for us because of his great love for us. This is something that as Christians we do because we were instructed by Christ to do it. And so if you've placed your faith in the gospel for your salvation, if you've trusted in Christ, we invite you to join us this morning. But perhaps you're a guest this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Christ. I wanna invite you just to observe what's gonna happen. I don't want you to feel any pressure to participate. This is something that is uniquely for those who have a relationship with Christ. But as you kind of sit and observe, I would love for you to do something for me this morning. I just want you to consider God's great love for you. Agape is available for you this morning. It's inexhaustible, it's dynamic, and it's limitless. And if you were to believe this morning in Christ, that he came and lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, and to trust him as your Lord and Savior this morning, right now, he would forgive your sins, he would place his Holy Spirit inside you, and you would be changed. That agape is alive and well this morning. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, perhaps today is the day of salvation for you. But for the rest of us who are, let us pray now that God would prepare our hearts to reflect on what he has done, giving of his body and shedding his blood for us. The greatest demonstration of agape love this world has ever seen. And let that be our motivation to show that kind of love to our city. Let's prepare our hearts. I invite you to prepare the bottom section. We'll start with the wafer. 
the Apostle Paul giving instructions to the church at Corinth gives us our text for the Lord's Supper. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Prepare the cup. Paul goes on to write, In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then listen to this proclamation. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming back for us, church. Do you believe it? Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for your great love. God, we pray that you would produce this love in us, that you would teach us what it means to love like you, that you would give us the desire to love others as you love them, and that you would allow this to be the gift that changes not only the city of Salem, but in all the churches around the world who live this out, that it would be, continue to be the light in dark places. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the body and the blood. And we look forward to your soon return. We pray this in your son's name.